0: Just a disclaimer for today. This whole month, we've been talking about love. We've been talking about the language of love, how to learn to love yourself so you can love others with God's love. We've talked about speaking words of love, walking out the actions of love. But today, God put a specific message in my heart that I rarely, if ever, have preached on. And uh, it's a message I believe is important for the body of Christ. But let me just say this. There are parts of the Bible that are not rated G. And so today, we're going to be diving into, but how many of y'all think the Word of God is all good for us? Like, we we shouldn't be afraid to talk about some of the tough topics that the Word of God addresses. Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about it. Paul the apostle wasn't afraid to talk about it. And there's a reason why it's in the Bible. So today we're gonna tackle a tough topic on just the desires, the real desires that singles and married people deal with for physical intimacy and the boundaries for that and how that looks. And so if you are a parent, you have a child on the age of, under the age of 12 and, and you're thinking maybe I don't wanna get into that conversation today with them after church, you can take them to our children's church. We got a great children's church service where they're gonna talk about G-rated Bible stuff and uh, it's gonna be good for your kids. But today, I honestly believe God wants some people to get free. And I believe that God specifically put this message on my heart for the church. I prayed, last night I was just saying, Lord, are you sure this isn't supposed to be, you know, like just for a singles conference or just for a married people's conference? God said, the whole church needs to hear this. The whole church needs to hear this. So we're gonna get into the word of God and I'm gonna start off with a very, easy scripture, and then we're going to get into a tougher, uh, more difficult scripture that all of us need to learn to apply, but let's go to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, and this is the love chapter, and when Paul gets ready to define love, yeah, we shout when we open the Word of God. When Paul gets ready to define love, the very first thing he says that love is, he says, love is patient. Let's say that together. Love is patient. Love knows how to wait. Real love knows how to wait for desires to be met. And he says love is kind, love is not jealous, love is not boastful, not proud. But today we're going to focus on that one word, patience. The title of the message is this, the struggle is real. Let's say that together, the struggle is real. How many of y'all can relate that sometimes it's not easy to wait? Sometimes it's not easy to be patient when your desires are stirring up. But I'm telling you today, God's going to give you success over the struggle. He's going to give you victory over the struggle. You weren't meant to be uh, defeated by the struggle. You were meant to succeed over the struggle. Come on, somebody. So we're going to grab the hand of the person next to us and lift it high in the air. And we're going to say our victory confession together all over this room. Let's say it. Here we go. I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose. My heart is open. My mind is ready to receive because God is not finished with me yet. My best days are right in front of me, and I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. Lord, we thank you for victory. We thank you for joy. Holy Spirit, do what you want to do. Take over in Jesus' name. Amen. Give someone a high five and say, the struggle is real. The struggle is real. Oh my goodness. The struggle is real. There's a uh, a place that, that I take Liam oftentimes, especially when I have a day off and our family wants to eat breakfast together, we go to the donut shop. And I think we go there too much because Liam has it memorized. Anytime we're driving past 81st in Yale, that one donut shop, he starts shouting, dun-duns, dun-duns. He, he calls donuts dun-duns. And, if we don't go there, he's kind of frustrated. Why aren't we going to the donut store? We're driving past it, but nonetheless, this last week, I took him to the store, and we were picking up donuts. We were going to bring the donuts home and eat breakfast. We wanted to have a good breakfast together, so we were getting donuts, and um, (laughs) me and Liam were the ones sent to go get the donuts and bring it home so we could all eat it together with our other uh, child, Benaya, and my wife, Ashley. So we went to the donut store. As soon as I pull up in the drive, you know, in the area of the donut store, he's, he's chanting, dun, duns, dun, duns. He's in the back seat, in the car seat. And I don't know where he started learning how to chant, but I guess they teach it in nursery. But uh, he's chanting, dun, duns, dun, duns, dun, duns. And uh, he's got his mind fixed on the donuts. He wants donuts. And so I Pull him out of the back seat. We walk into the donut store, and he runs up to the donut glass window. He's just staring, like drooling at the donuts. And he's going, "Dun dun's, dun dun's, dun dun's, dun dun's, daddy, daddy, dun dun's, daddy, dun dun's, dad, dun dun's, dun dun's, dad, dad." And he is like chanting this. He's excited. His eyes have locked in with the donuts. The desire is real. The struggle is real. So I, I get the donuts. And then I pick up Liam, and he's reaching for the donuts, and I'm separating him from the object of his affection. And so I've got Liam in one arm, the donuts on the other side, and the people are laughing. They're like, bro, they're like, dude, your your son really likes donuts. I'm like, I know. The struggle is real. So I'm separating the donuts from Liam. We're walking towards the car, and he's, you know, reaching for them. Then I put him in the back seat. The donuts are in the front seat, and he's, like, reaching from his back seat to get the donuts. He's not close enough, and he starts doing this puppy dog face. He's like... Dad, dad, don, dad, dad, dun, 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 and he's like really dramatic. I don't know where he gets it from, <laughs> but he is seriously putting on an incredible performance. I'm like, you need an Oscar. I don't know where you got your acting skills, but you are making me really want to give you the dun, dun's, the donuts. But I knew best. I knew that he shouldn't have the donuts yet because we were going to eat them together as a family, and there wasn't a milk bottle in the card. So if he ate the donuts then, he would get thirsty. Hello, there's some thirsty people in the room. He would get thirsty... And he wouldn't know what to do because we didn't have the bottle of milk. It was at the house. So I said, Liam, just hold on. Just be patient. There was a song my mom used to sing to me and John growing up. Be patient, be patient. Don't be in such a hurry. Y'all remember that song, some of you guys? Yeah. I don't know the rest of it. That's the only part I remember. But I'm trying to, to lead Liam in patience, and he's not having it. He starts screaming and crying, and so I had to put him in time out, give him a pow-pow, and, uh, you know, to teach him how to wait for the right moment. You know, God knows what you need and when you need it. God knows exactly what you need, but the question is, are you going to trust God's timing to meet the desires in your heart? What do we do between the conception of a desire in other words, all of a sudden you get this idea, man, as a single, you're thinking, man, it would be awesome to get married. I would love to have a mate. I would love to have a spouse. I would love to have someone to cuddle with, to hold hands with, to kiss. I would love, I mean, those real desires inside you that aren't bad, they're not ungodly. God put a desire inside of all of us to, uh, to, for certain things. But we have to learn where to, where to put those desires and how to... Uh, uh, keep those desires within the boundaries of where god created them so paul writes an entire chapter to a church in corinth and they wrote a letter to paul and they said paul we don't know what to do with our desires we're getting all these desires on the inside we're christians now where does the physical intimacy come into our relationships what are we supposed to do with the desires for physical intimacy so first corinthians 7 paul writes a whole chapter on it that's where we're going to camp out today and Verse one, message version, he says this. Now getting down to the questions you asked in your letter to me. First, is it good for people to have sexual relations? Paul says certainly, but only within a uh, a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and it's good for a woman to have a husband. Thank God that Paul clears it up for everybody, right? I mean, God defines that marriage is between one man and one woman for life. If God is the foundation for love, then we have to find our definition for love from God. We can't define it ourselves. were We're not the ones who created it. And so when we start trying to take matters into our own hands and get impatient and try to turn our desires, when desires go haywire, that's when chaos ensues. And so Paul says this, sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. What a good scripture, right? Because our world is is in chaos about this topic right now. We've got TV shows and media training the next generation how this is supposed to look. This is why I think God wants the whole church to hear this, Because if we don't learn it in the church, we're going to end up learning it from the media. And I don't know about you, but I don't want my son Liam learning sexuality from the media. I want him learning it from the church. I want him hearing about the word of God. I don't want to tiptoe around scriptures that we need to be preaching to kids and teenagers. Here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. I don't think we acknowledge the fact that desire starts at a young age. Like, my son Liam is two years old, but he already has strong desires for dun-duns. And it's only a matter of time before the desires for donuts turn into desires for other things. And so we have to learn how to communicate God's teaching on what to do with desires that we don't know how to control. What do we do with desires we don't know how to control? And this is what Paul goes on to say. He says um, in verse, uh, we'll keep going here, he says... Um, The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to serve the wife. The wife seeking to serve the husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Marriage is about service. It's about servanthood. And Paul's teaching this to this church that doesn't know what to do doesn't know how to handle their desires. and So let's go to verse seven, because he says something that I want to lead into my first point on how to succeed over the struggle. He says, sometimes I wish everyone were single like me. No amens. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone got silent at that point. They're like, keep going. (laughs) Paul says it's a simpler life in many ways, but some of y'all are really thankful for that but right there celibacy is not for everyone any more than marriage is. And then he says, God gives the gift of the single life to some and the gift of the married life to others. You know what Paul's saying here is we're all on the same playing field. We, we need to, as married people and singles, we need to learn to value each other's seasons the same. It's not like single uh, single life is junior varsity and married life is varsity. We're all on the varsity team. Whether you're single or married, God says everyone is valuable no matter what season you're in. You don't have to be married to be more important or more valuable in God's eyes. You can be single. I mean, Jesus was single. Hello, he was fulfilled. He was complete. He was whole. He had a purpose. So some of us in this room, we've judged the difference between the single life and the married life, and we've said one's more important than the other. God never said that. Our culture just says that. But we've got to go back to the scripture and go, wait a minute, God values and even sees the single life and the married life both as valuable. In fact, Paul even says when you're single, you're able to spend more time worshiping God and focusing on serving him. But he says marriage is not bad, and marriage is not a bad decision. And and so the first step that I think we need to get to is, number one, contentment is key. If you're going to succeed over the struggle, you're going to have to get to this place where contentment is key. Now, our world tries to misplace where we're going to find contentment. The world says you can only be content, and the word contentment means happy. It means at peace. It means satisfied. It means fulfilled, a whole And the world says you can only be content when you're in a relationship. You can only be content when you get your desires met. And so we go searching and seeking to find someone to satisfy our desires, thinking that they're going to make us whole. Can I just say this? Marriage does not complete you. If you're a single person hoping to get married so that you'll finally feel complete, the scriptures never say that marriage completes you. The scriptures say that God completes you. God is the only firm foundation for contentment. It's only in Christ that we find real contentment. And so we can be happy even when we don't have our desires met. We can be at peace and fulfilled even when our desires aren't being met. Some of us in this room, we're allowing our desires to control us instead of controlling our desires because we've placed our contentment in the wrong place. When I went to ORU, I was 19 years old and I was single and man, I was looking for the one. I was wondering who's gonna be my wife, who is the one out there. And so I couldn't be happy. I was every day, everywhere I walked, in my classes, through the prayer gardens, in chapel, in church services, I was looking around, going, is She the one? Lord, I thank you, Jesus. Is she the one? You know, I was like I was halfway worshiping and halfway searching for someone that was gonna complete me. And after a year and a half of, of being in this thirsty lifestyle, trying to find my satisfaction from a person, and praise God, can I just say, I was able to wait till my wedding day. God has the grace to help singles in the room to wait till your wedding day. If that's the only thing you get from this sermon, God wants you to have the grace, he has it for you, to wait till your wedding. But I was searching for contentment, and God said, Paul, you've got the search all wrong. You're looking for the one, but the one has been in your life all through your life. God said, I'm your number one. You should be searching for number two. Until you allow God to be number one and find your soul sufficiency in him, you'll always come up lacking in any relationship you're in. This is why married couples have a hard time because we're trying to squeeze something out of a human that only God can bring to us. If you go into marriage hoping that your spouse, your husband is gonna meet every single emotional and physical and spiritual need in your life, you're missing it. If you think your wife is gonna meet every single need, she's not. She's not supposed to, it's not fair to force a human being to be something that only God can be in your life. God is the source for real contentment and when you get content in Christ alone, you're able to enter into marriage not as a half but as a whole, as a complete person saying, I found, see when Asha and I got married, we had two candles, both of them were lit but we brought them to the center to light the center candle to becoming one, that God would be the head of our marriage. It's only in Christ that we find real contentment. I think an enemy to contentment is comparison. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17, same chapter, a few scriptures later, he says, don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. We're gonna stop right there. Paul says, listen, Contentment comes when you stop comparing what other people are doing and where other people are at. I think the hardest part for me when, when I was single was watching my friends get married. You know, I was always the groomsman and never the groom. I was watching my friends get, get their dreams and their desires fulfilled, and I was frustrated. I mean, I was, I was, I was feeling this, this tension on the inside going, God, I know the desire to get married is not a bad desire. But for some reason, it is making me hate the season of life that I'm in right now. And and you know what God was saying? Paul, stop looking to the left and to the right to find your happiness. You've got to look up above. God says to Paul, through Paul, to the church, stop wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Church, where you are right now, single or married, is God's place for you. It doesn't mean it's a permanent place. When Paul said the gift of singleness and the gift of marriage is given, he wasn't saying these gifts are forever. He's saying right now you have the choice, the gift of choice to enjoy the season you're in right now. He wasn't referring to a gift as in some uh, spiritual gift like the gift of speaking in tongues or the gift of prophecy. He was referring to the gift of choice, that you have the gift to enjoy the single life if you're single. And you have the gift to enjoy the married life if you're married. In other words, you don't have to look to the left or to the right to find the, the, the gift of enjoying where you're at. And so he goes on in verse 17, he says, where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. Isn't that a good word, church? Be where you are. Enjoy where you are. Enjoy where you are. And he says, God, not your marital status, defines your life. God completes us. God defines who we are. Not a boyfriend, not a girlfriend, not a spouse, but God. God alone. Nonetheless, when we are single or unmarried, and some in the room were married at one time, you got divorced, some of you have never been married, some of you, uh, you've lost your spouse, they've gone on to heaven, and so you're widowed, and you're trying to figure out, should I get remarried, or should I stay single? And Paul gives all kinds of teaching on that. But I wanna go to one verse in particular that he says. Verse nine, and this will lead us to our second point. Verse nine of chapter seven. He says, But if they can't control themselves, and they here, he's referring to unmarried people. If they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. Now, I'm about to get into part of this topic, and y'all know I'm a conservative preacher, right? But I've got to tackle something that he's talking about here. So we're going to talk about this for a second. Paul says it's better to marry than it is to burn with lust. And Paul's talking about a fire. I've got a little fire with me up here on stage. little candle, a little illustrated sermon. Hopefully it'll work. Nice. Give the candle a big hand. <laughs> Paul's referring to a fire of desire inside of us. There is a fire of desire inside of you. And if you're not careful, you can let it burn you instead of help you to be what God's called you to be. A fire is good in the right place. So number two, here's the second point on succeeding over the struggle. Fire is good in the right place. Did you know that God created sex? How many of y'all think that whatever God created, it's good? Can we just get the tension out of the room and just recognize sex is good, it's not a bad thing, but it's meant to be used in the right place, inside the covenant of marriage, and if we don't teach this in the church, they're gonna learn it in the locker room, so can we please start teaching this better in the church and stop ignoring the tough topics? (laughs) Paul says, listen, there is a real fire inside of us, and we tell singles two things. I need help on this side. Everybody on this side say, don't settle. Don't settle. This is what we tell singles, don't settle. Say it again. Don't but then we also tell them on this side, don't sin. Everybody shout out, don't, don't, sin. don't sin. Say it again. And singles are confused in the middle and they're going, but what about the struggle You're telling me not to settle. Paul says, uh, 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 if you're burning with lust, then go ahead and get married. But we tell them don't settle. And so what Paul's not saying here, and we gotta read this text right or else we'll end up hurting singles because sometimes we'll just tell singles, you know what, if you're you're really burning right now, go ahead and get married. And they're like, sure, I'll just go to the husband tree and get me a husband like it's in the backyard. (laughs) It's not that simple because we're sending them this message saying, don't settle for whoever's right in front of you. But we're also saying, don't sin with the desire inside of you to be physically intimate with somebody. And so they're stuck in the middle. And this is why the, the message today is called, The Struggle is Real. And you know what Paul says? He says, you're not alone in this, singles. You're not alone. In fact, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, 29, Paul says, I burn too. Who is not tempted? And I'm not tempted too. Who doesn't burn? And I don't burn as well. Paul's saying, I understand the struggle. You're not alone in this. I think we just need to identify, even married people in the room, sometimes for us, the struggle is real too. And if we're not careful, we'll take the fire into the wrong place. Even married people, if you're not finding your physical intimacy with your spouse, you can become tempted to take the fire somewhere else, somewhere else. As singles, if we don't know how to start the fire, where to start the fire, when to start the fire, we can unintentionally start the fire in the wrong place at the wrong time. And a good thing becomes a bad thing when we do it at the wrong time. Sex is good, but it's meant for marriage. And if we take it outside of marriage, it becomes bad. Right? It's a good place to say amen. Fire is good in the right place. The same fire that we use to light a candle that brings light to a dark room, And the same fire we use to light a fireplace to bring warmth to your house or apartment can also become destructive when it's lit in an open field with no boundaries, can become destructive when it's lit in a forest of Colorado. The same fire we use to warm ourselves is burning houses down and forests down in California. And so fire is good until it's taken out of the boundaries for which it was created for. And what's crazy is all it took was one person to light a fire in the wrong place. And it not only burnt down one tree, it burns down multiple trees. Isn't this what happens when someone, the head of the house, takes a fire out of the the right place into the wrong place? It not only affects him, it affects the wife, the kids. I can only remember one other time since I've been preaching that I preached a sermon so important on this subject. A sermon I preached called Stay Out of the Woods. And the point of the message is the same today, is that God wants us to keep this fire inside of us and to save it for marriage and to keep it with your spouse. But we have to learn, how do I contain it? See, passion, fire really equals Passion. Passion. Passion is not bad, but passion needs parameters. Passion needs patience. If you have passion, but you don't have patience, you end up making impulsive decisions that lead to regrets. And so we have people getting pregnant out of marriage. And we have people uh, uh, having affairs and adultery and getting into pornography. And they're burning houses down because they don't know where to start the fire. They don't know how to set the boundaries around the fire. And we need this message, man. Paul goes on to say, he he says, listen, if you don't know what to do, don't just burn, but wait to get married. Wait to get married at the right time. Let's talk about what happens when we don't know how to control the fire. James chapter 1 says this. He says, when lust takes over, it brings forth sin. And when sin is finished, it brings forth death. Lust, sin, death. L-S-D, the dangerous form of destroying your life. He says, be careful what you do with fire. Don't play with fire or you might get burned. Be careful. I was at a restaurant with with my family and there was a candle in front of us. And I was just being goofy. I was kind of going like this. That's ridiculous. That's dumb. But when I was doing that, my son saw it. He leaned forward and started doing it. He knocked the candle on top of me. The wax poured all over my jeans. Praise God, neither of us got burned. But what I realized is when you play with fire, when you don't have fire in the right boundaries, in the right spot, in the right place, someone's gonna get hurt. Someone's gonna get burned. And I think about how David, what led him to sleep with Bathsheba. She wasn't his wife. He didn't know how to control the fire inside of him. Later on in his life, his son Amnon didn't know how to control the fire he had for Tamar. And it said he took advantage of her. He was so in love with her, he he became sick. Some of us in this room, we are so thirsty for a relationship, we are sick, we are are hurting, we are ill. We don't know how to sleep at night because we are looking for a, a, a place to build a fire and we don't know what to do with it. And it says that he took advantage of a sister, and then it says he hated her more than he loved her. 2 Samuel 13, verse 15. It said after he committed this terrible crime, he ended up hating her even more than he loved her. Why? Because he didn't know how to separate intimacy from infatuation. Real fire is intimacy. It's meant for marriage. False fire is infatuation. You've got to learn to separate intimacy from infatuation. That'll protect you. I wish I would have heard this sermon 15 years ago. When I went to ORU and I was thirsty and I was looking for the one, I ended up going out with girls and and praise God, I was able to save myself, but I crossed a lot of boundaries. I got into some toxic relationships that I later regretted. All because I didn't know how to contain the fire inside of me. God has a plan for the desires of your heart. He wouldn't put a desire inside you that he plans to rob you of. But he's asking if you'll be patient to wait. Because when we don't, we give birth to lust, and lust gives birth to sin, and the the final result of sin, when we don't control it, and praise God for grace. Let me just pause right now. If you've messed up, if you've lost your virginity, if you've committed adultery, if you've done something you're not proud of, the good news is the grace of God is bigger than the sins you've committed. And it's here today to set you free, to give you freedom from that feeling of, uh, 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 of discouragement. You know, the good news is God didn't let David end feeling like a failure. God stamped his approval at the end of David's life and said, this is a man who served me with all of his heart. That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. Even when Peter denied Jesus three times, messed up big time. Some of us in this room, we feel unworthy. We feel disqualified. Some of us in this room, it's hard to hear this message because we're going, but Paul, I've, I've done things I shouldn't have done. I've opened the door to sins and addictions, and I don't know what to do. The good news is the grace of God is big enough not only to forgive you, but to set you free from the addiction that you feel like you're stuck in right now. You are not a lost cause. If there's breath in your lungs, there's hope for your future. Come on, Jesus. When we give in to false fire, infatuation in Latin actually means false fire. It pretends to be something that it's not. It pretends to give you something, but in turn, it actually destroys you. This is what lust does. Lust promises you everything, but it leaves you with nothing. And so we're emptier after the sex and we're hungrier and we're lonelier and we feel like somehow we've missed out. But we don't have to keep going down that path that leads to more and more emptiness. We can start going down a path of fulfillment. And so number three, to succeed over the struggle is to build our patience by trusting in God. Build our patience by trusting in God. God, it's just coming to this conclusion. God, you know best. You know when I need, what I need, where I need it, how I need it. God, I can trust you with my life. I can trust you with the desires of my heart. One, I think, measure of trust is how are you treating the season you're in right now? Are you allowing yourself to be content? Are you pursuing God? How are you treating your body? Who are you letting have access to your body? Is the person who you've given access to, do they even care about your destiny or they just care about your body? Singles, is your body a private garden or a public park? Guard your treasure. It's worth the wait. How are you treating yourself? Are you treating yourself as if, man, God has a plan for my life? I don't want to just throw it down the tube. I don't want to just give myself to anyone that's in view. I want to save myself. And if you've made mistakes, the good news is you can get forgiveness. And from this day forward, say, I'm waiting till my wedding. I am waiting for the married people in the room. If you've made mistakes, you could say from this day forward, I'm keeping it in the covenant. I'm keeping it in the covenant. I'm keeping it with my spouse. I'm saving it for my honey. I'm saving it for my husband, whoever it is. And I'm not just talking about physical intimacy. I'm also talking about emotional intimacy. Because affairs begin oftentimes with the emotions. A text you shouldn't send. A conversation you should have cut off a little bit sooner. Lingering at the office. The people that you're spending extra time with. The, the, the flirtatiousness. God wants us to have the fire but in the right place. And so we've got to trust God by that's how we develop our patience, trusting in God. Ashley and I were at a restaurant. We were getting ready to sit down at a table, and we had been waiting 40 minutes. So I was getting a little impatient, and I knew our name was the next on the list. I had kind of gone up there asking them, you know, are we next? And they were like, yes, you guys are next. And I saw a table open up. So they hadn't called our name yet, but I thought, you know, Ashley, let's just go ahead and sit down. That table's ours anyways. And she was like, honey, just wait. They'll call our name. And this was before I was the pastor, so forgive me for my impatience. But even if I was the pastor, I hope you'd forgive me. I start walking towards the table to sit down, and the waitress says, stop! She says, if you sit down right now, you're going to inherit the mess that was left behind by the last party. She said, let me clean the table and the chairs up, or else you might sit down in the catch-up and get it all over your pants. And I thought to myself, hold on, there's a message here. <laughs> Singles before you jump into a relationship with that guy, let God clean him up. Girls, you weren't meant to be the cleaner in the relationship. Only God can clean him. Only God can clean her. There's a reason why he hasn't sat you at the table yet. It's not because he's trying to rob you of your desire. It's because he's trying to save you from getting burned by the fire. He's trying to save you from a future divorce. He's trying to save you from a regret down the road. He's saying, trust me, trust me. I have your best interest at heart. I was trying to help my son Liam before he got the donuts. Trust me, Liam. I have your best desire at heart. Dad knows best. Oftentimes, we second guess if God knows what he's doing, and we end up jumping into something, and, 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 and we take something uh, before we're supposed to have it. Recently, my son, he's been watching me shave. I use a regular razor to shave, and he found the razor, and he grabbed it, and he was about to start shaving his face. He's two years old. I go, no! grab the razor. I go, not yet. One day, Liam. One day you will use this, but not yet. The desire that he has is good, but the timing is wrong. And if you take a good thing at the wrong time, it becomes a bad thing. And it hurts you, and it cuts you, and it makes you bleed. God's trying to save you heartache. He's trying to save you right now. But we have to trust in God. David said in Psalm 27, I will remain confident in this that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David was talking about a desire inside of himself to one day rule Israel. God had already anointed him, but it had been 10 years since he had since the conception of that desire, the conception of that prophecy, and it hadn't happened yet. And so David said, you know what? I'm not going to get in a rush. I'm not going to try to take Saul's life and claim the kingdom as my own. I'm going to trust in God's timing because God knows best. And I will remain confident in this, that I will see the fulfillment, the fruition, the completion of the desire that God has birthed inside me. Paul said in Philippians 1.6, he who started this work inside you will be faithful to complete it. He will bring you to a flourishing finish. Be patient as you trust in God. The fourth thing is this keep the fire burning keep the fire burning you know what God told me God said Paul so many people are trying to suppress the fire but I don't want the fire to be suppressed I just want the fire to be addressed so that way it can be expressed in the right way God's not wanting you to suppress it he's wanting to address it so you can express it in the right way God wants the fire in your life but he doesn't want a false fire He doesn't want a fire that's built around pornography or built on some secret sin or some secret relationship or some secret affair. God wants a a true, strong fire that stands the test of time. And he says, here's where you're gonna get the fire. Here's how you're gonna defeat the struggle. Here's how you'll succeed is when you let the all-consuming fire consume every desire that's not from you, that's not from God. He says, let the all-consuming fire become the fire inside of you. Hebrews 12, 29 says, our God is a consuming fire. He burns away the chaff. He burns away the false infatuations. He burns away the stuff that you don't really need. The best way to succeed over the struggle is to fight fire with fire. To fight fire with fire. If you're going to defeat the fire of infatuation, you're going to have to get the fire of intimacy with God. To say, God, you are enough. See, lust can start a fire, but it usually just burns you out. But God knows how to start a fire and keep the fire burning. He's the only one who can suffice every desire inside of you. I want us to stand to our feet all over this place. He's enough, church. He's enough. And He's not against you having the desire to one day be married and the desire to one day have that physical intimacy. He wants you to have that in the right covenant but he's saying, are you willing to trust me? Are you willing to allow me to build patience inside you so that these desires come to pass at the right time in the right way? Lord, I just pray right now for every single in the room. I pray, God, just for patience. I pray, God, for a steadfast spirit. Lord, for even the married people in the room where there's been pain and there's been dryness in the marriage and there's been a temptation to look elsewhere to start a fire. Lord, that today you are rekindling a desire for a purifier inside of us. Lord, a fire, God, that brings glory to you. The all-consuming fire inside of us. I, I sense to say this right now to some people in the room. You've been wondering, what do I do, Paul? What do I do with the real desires inside me? God wants you to channel that fire, that passion, that energy in the right direction. I, when I allowed God to be number one in my life, I didn't immediately start dating Ashley. It took a, a while. God wanted me to just stay single and be totally content with Him. But I still had strong desires inside of me. And so God started channeling that passion to get involved in the church, to serve in children's church, serve at the youth group, help my sisters when they were moving out of a house, help my family members. You never waste time when you're serving other people. God says without a vision people perish. One version says without a vision people cast off restraint. They 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 just start settling for anyone that's in front of them. And so God said, Paul, I want you to get a vision for your future marriage. I want you to get a vision for where you're going one day. And I don't want you to settle and I don't want you to sin but I also don't want you to be defeated by the struggle. I want you to succeed over the struggle. I want you to win against the lust inside of you. I want you to win against the desires that are so strong. And today God's not going to let a struggle defeat you if you'll just surrender to Him and say, Lord, I need your help. I want your all-consuming fire to consume every desire inside of me that's not of you. Lord, I need your help to stay pure. I need your forgiveness, God, to be renewed and to be clean. God, I, I feel like I'm dirty today. The all-consuming fire can make you clean. He can make you holy. No guy could do it. No girl could do it, but only Jesus Christ can make you righteous in the sight of God.